0: Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 149, NASA Photographers. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, astronauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight. You know you're into spaceflight if you have a rocket launch, an astronaut, or a photo of Earth from space as the background of your smartphone. Imagery is just one of those things that's hard to beat when it comes to how people engage in human spaceflight. Those famous shots of astronauts walking out in their spacesuits, those shots of Celebration in Mission Control, astronauts training, flying jets, they're iconic photos. But as you can imagine, these photos are among the few of the millions of images collected here at the Johnson Space Center. Helping to capture history, share technical data, and more is a small team of photographers here at NASA. We're bringing on a few today, James Blair, Robert Markowitz, and Josh Valcarcel. Each of these fine gentlemen are out and about almost every day capturing history. And to do so, they sometimes find themselves in some of the coolest places at NASA. So here we go. What it's like to be a photographer at NASA with James Blair, Robert Markowitz, and Josh Valcarcel. Enjoy.
1: Minus high, second, County. Mark the We have a podcast.
0: Robert, James, and Josh, thank you so much for coming on Houston We have a podcast today.
2: Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Oh yeah.
0: Alright. So this is the first time we've done it with this many people. I'm excited to talk to you guys because I see you all the time. <laughs> like Everything we're doing, you know, we do events, we do mission commentary, and you're always there, you're always there documenting, and you have different roles and different ways that you approach these tasks. So I'm excited to hear how that's all done from your perspective. I wanna get a little bit of backstory because I f- I f- the reason why we have you all here is because you come from different backgrounds, different levels of ex- expertise and different ways on how to approach this. Robert, we'll start with you. What's your background, how'd you end up at NASA?
2: So I uh, grew up actually in uh, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and then uh, after my first year of college at University of Oklahoma, decided to go to photo school and went to Rochester Institute of Technology up in Rochester, New York, and uh, had a little job um, right after graduating from there in a little town outside of uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and uh, didn't, wasn't really overly happy with that job, so started looking. So a lot of times it's, um, background, knowledge, expertise, as well as timing. The photo department here used to have, all of the photographers used to be civil servants. In 1987, they decided to split them and make half contractors, half civil servants. And Mm -hmm. uh, so my supervisor right now, Mark Soa joined in 1987 as well as um, several other photographers. And one of those um, decided after a few years to leave the group and go get a civil servant job over in the astronaut office. And so it opened up a slot about the same time I was looking for a position. So I joined the group in 1990 and uh, have been here, this August will actually be 30 years as a photographer. So wow. kind of neat. You talk to a lot of people, you meet a lot of people out here. Um, there's tons of people that have worked here, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. Um, but most of those have worked in various areas, various disciplines around JSC. Um, so it's pretty unique to actually be one that's worked here now for 30 years and being in the same job, same discipline, doing the same same work. Um, so it kind of is a testament to how much I think we, we enjoy our work out here.
0: Same discipline, but but really, I mean, I'm sure things are changing all the time. And of all the people, you must know everyone. <laughs> Honestly, because you're, 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 you have so many different areas that you're hitting, right? Yeah. And you see some of the same people in different roles.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And, and you see them grow. Sometimes you see them come and go. Sometimes people will be out here for 5, 10 years leave do some different roles and realize how good it is here at, at NASA and then they'll return and um, so it, it's definitely interesting seeing the the evolvement over time. Of we'll look
0: at that congratulations on 30 years Thanks. that's Appreciate quite an achievement. James let's go on to you what's your background?
3: Uh, I have a slightly different background from Robert I uh, started out I uh, graduated from SMU with a degree in anthropology of all things but uh, I worked at the school newspaper and uh, was a photo editor there um, had a was fortunate enough to have a, a mentor um, from the Associated Press uh, by the name of Eric Gay, who, uh, who was a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, photographer. And he mentored me while I was at, in college. And he kind of showed me the ropes and uh, uh, led me to photojournalism. And uh, after I graduated, I uh, went to uh, work at various newspapers around the country, kind of hopped around at meeting small newspapers uh, as a photojournalist, enjoyed it a lot, enjoyed shooting uh, people and sports. Uh, There's a lot of uh, adrenaline involved, and uh, (laughs) it was fun. Um, Then uh, I uh, happened to be uh, freelancing for the Associated Press in uh, Austin, and uh, just heard about the job through a uh, Job at NASA, the opening uh, through a friend of a friend, and uh, I think I may have been the uh, first photographer to submit a portfolio on CD-ROM. Yeah, so <laughs> that kind of that kind of dates me. Um, so uh, and I was lucky enough to get picked, and uh, since then it's been great. Uh, There's definitely a learning curve of. Uh, going from a uh, true photojournalist to working at NASA, um, doing a lot of uh, studio portraits and uh, production uh, photography. So it's, it's been great.
0: Yeah, so what, what, are, what are those key differences, if you had to sum it up into a paragraph, of wh- what it takes to go from the photojournalism, from Associated Press to being a right. NASA photographer?
3: As a photojournalist, you're almost kind of a fly on the wall. You're telling a story, and you're trying not to... Uh, Uh, get yourself involved with the story itself. You're just documenting it. And uh, with NASA, quite often, you are uh, setting up uh, imagery, setting up scenes, um, trying to show the public um, the capabilities of NASA and the hardware and the engineers. Um, So I had to kind of uh, learn about uh, positioning people and lighting people and... Uh, where uh, in photojournalism there's minimal lighting and uh, you know just trying to uh, let that story happen in front of you. So.
0: Yeah, you're worried more about the moment when right. it comes to photojournalism because you right. want to capture that right. versus the artistic maybe. As but I mean,
3: it. that still happens here at uh, working for NASA. You're yeah. capturing just incredible moments of uh, you know uh, the crew returns and uh, mission control and. Um, EFT one, uh, where you're you know, trying to capture emotion and the, yeah. uh, the, the incredible, uh, you know, experiences that people are having here at Johnson Space Center.
0: Yeah. Now, Josh, are you in the CD-ROM era, or are you a little bit <laughs> after? No, still? I have a website. It's <laughs> <laughs> yes, Instagram. Yeah. Yes. <laughs>
3: Instagram. Yeah. All,
1: All right, right. So, what's your background? <clears throat> All right. I uh, I got started in the Navy. I had no idea what I wanted to do after high school, and I joined the Navy. Uh, like a lot of people do and uh, I saw that photographer was an option and I said that I wanted to do that and there's a whole story that goes along with this Uh, they said that that was a a, you know a billet that was filled up uh, hard to get into Hmm. a lot of people want to do it and I chose two others as backups Uh, I lied I really only wanted that one job (laughs) I never intended to join the Navy if I didn't get it but there's a long delayed entry program you know they're working with me for months they take me down two hours uh, you know to process and at the last minute they say, you know, that job photographer isn't available. And I just looked at him and was like, it's going to be a real long ride home. <laughs> <laughs> and so he looks at me, and then he goes back into the room. He comes back out, and he's like, it just, you know, it popped up. You know, you're so lucky. So that's how I got started. It was wow. I called this recruiter on his bluff. Uh, and It was the <laughs> best decision I ever made. I never had any experience with photography prior to joining the Navy. Went to boot camp. After boot camp, they put you through a four-month crash course. Uh, at the time, it was basic still photography. And I was one of the last classes to learn on film in the beginning for about a month. Hmm. Um, And, yeah, it was amazing. It was a joint service uh, school, uh, the Defense Information School. It was in Fort Meade, Maryland. And they just run you through the gamut. Uh, Awards, ceremonies, grip and grins, documentation, combat photography, uh, studio portraiture, everything you can imagine. They just, that's your life. And then they just spit you out into the fleet. Uh, And I was lucky enough to go to San Diego. Uh, at the Public Affairs center, Pacific there, and so I basically worked a day job, but every year I would deploy on a different ship and augment their media department. So I deployed on three different boats. Um, I went to over twenty different countries in the time I was in the Navy, which is about five years. Wow, yeah. And uh, got a lot of experience. Um, unless you do something really stupid, they're not gonna fire you. So <laughs> I had lots of opportunities to fail confidently, uh, which I still like to think that I do. Um, and after, the navy i went to college i went to brooks institute which uh at the time was this legendary i hope still now uh, a legendary photo college um that is now extinct it, it went away uh, oh. it was unfortunately mismanaged and you know it went under but uh the time i had there and what i learned was just immense um i like to think that the navy taught me how to take pictures but brooks taught me how to tell stories and so that's what i took uh leaving college um Timing worked out in such a way where in my last year of school, I really gravitated towards science. I felt that that was a subject that was, it just didn't seem like a lot of photographers were gunning for shooting scientific subjects, and I had this natural kind of inclination to it. Hmm. And so I decided to go that route. I really fell in love with Wired Magazine. I found a ton of Wired Magazines in the school library, and I just kind of like started checking a bunch of these out. Loved the style. And I decided I want to work for Wired Magazine in my last year. And there's a whole chain of events that happened, but as soon as I graduated two weeks later, I was working there as a online photo editor All right. and staff photographer. So did that for three years. It was amazing. Uh, I got to help make a magazine every month, uh, see how that process worked. It was super creative. It was super open. If you had an idea, you can take it across to another desk. And if they liked it, you can collaborate and synergize. Um, I did stand-ups for video. I wrote a few stories. Um, I went to Comic-Con, uh, I went to the Consumer Electronics Show. It was just a whole different world, and that's where I really got into product photography. Uh, mm-hmm. That was pretty much my world was shooting products uh, for reviews, uh, and you know, so I did well there. Um, I was brought on as a contractor initially at Wired. Then I got hired on a staff, and then in my third year, I was laid off <laughs> because, uh, you know, publications life. are kind of yeah, life yeah, tumultuous yeah. industry. It happens. Sure. Uh, it was a really dark time. It was really you know insecure moment. Um, but I like bringing that up because, the, you know the time of greatest doubt came right before, you know, the best time of my career, which was getting my job here at NASA. It was just amazing. Um, Again, fortunate uh, turn of events. Um, I looked and there it was. Uh, And I think it's important to note that Robert mentioned earlier, we're all contractors. Um, So it wasn't, the job title didn't say NASA photographer. It said scientific photographer for my contractor, analytical mechanics associates, which on the surface, what is that? You click on it and it's, The job description is just being a NAS photographer, and it sounded amazing. So it was kind of hidden. I applied to that. You know, I had no idea how the system worked. Applied, uh, didn't hear anything back. Um, Two weeks later, you know, my girlfriend and I looked on LinkedIn. We found out who worked here. We found, you know, Robert's uh, LinkedIn. We found our supervisor, Marks. And I emailed Mark, and I said, hey, I just want to reiterate my interest in this job. It was a Sunday night. Following morning, he uh, emails back saying, we didn't get your application. I guess the company had stopped sending them to them. It had oh. been open for like two weeks already or more. And so that's how I got an interview that week and uh, ultimately got hired. So wow. now I've been here for about two years and eight months now.
0: A little bit of luck, a little bit of persistence. What a story. For sure, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I loved uh, I love your, your phrase, fail confidently. That was, I, that right took, on, yeah. That, yeah, I like that a lot. That's uh, really good. Um, it's a, that's a great way to learn is to, is to do definitely. that and have that kind of freedom to express different ideas and themes, and if it works, great, if it doesn't, move on. You learn something, yeah. Yeah, you learn something. Um, I wanted to go back, one thing that I kind of locked on was right in the beginning, you said uh, you were going to the Navy and you wanted photography, and then the two others were lies, but you really wanted photography, but had no prior experience with photography. Mm -hmm. What was it that drove you to that?
1: They had a magazine, and it was a silly photo of just, you know, there's something to do in the Navy where you man the rails. So you're coming back in the port after your deployment. All the sailors put on their dress whites, <clears throat> excuse me, and they, they line along the edges of the boat. Hmm. And they had a picture. It was a panoramic, and above each sailor, they all looked the same. That was the point. But they had jobs written above them and pointing down to each sailor, so you could see what they all did. And one of them said, photographer. I never thought that you can do that in the military. So I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. That's how it jumped out at me. That was the first step. Um, I don't know why I felt so, it just seemed like the fun thing to do. I like to draw. My brothers are cartoonists, so I just liked artistic stuff, Uh, anything I could do creatively. So it just seemed if I was going to get through the military, I had to do something creative uh, to give myself the best shot of being successful Um, and just kind of getting through it. And so I just kind of went on good faith. But I will say that the only epiphany I've ever had in my life was when I was, my first day of photo school, which was August 9th in 2005. I remember it, because it's like a birthday for me. And it was the day we classed up at DINFO, so Defense Information School. And they show you your SLR and lenses, it's the first time I'd ever held one, and they take you on a tour of all the different rooms and and aspects of the course that you'll be introduced to. And they had print rooms, you know, you saw photos that students had taken up on the walls. And I just had this feeling, (coughs) excuse me again, you know, I just had this feeling uh, that very, uh, you know, potent sense. This is what I wanted to do the rest of my life. Like I had found something mm. that I had somehow managed to go this long without getting exposed to this way directly. And I just felt like, Oh, this is my thing. This is what I'm going to pour my heart and soul into. And I'm 15 years in now. And I feel like it's, it's proof that that was real, that that sense and that feeling I had was absolutely authentic.
0: Wow. That's significant. It starts with just, Looking at a magazine, and saying, "Huh, I want to explore that more." And then next thing you know, you're you're set. You're you're rock solid. This is this yep. is your life
1: now. It sounded fun.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right, so let's let's kind of explore what being a NASA photographer is all about. Robert, we'll go back to you. Um, think thinking about what you're doing. I I, I don't want to say on a day to day basis because that's probably not accurate, but a snapshot of all the different things you're covering.
2: Um, well, what's funny is, Josh mentioned first picking up a camera and. 2005, was that correct? Right, yeah. Yeah, so I'd already been here for 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think you kind of you know, hit the nail on the head with um, the, the key thing about being a NASA photographer is we wear multiple hats, and mm-hmm. we basically do something different every single day. So a lot of people, you know, you have food photographers, you have people that photograph furniture, you have people that photograph models, whatever it is, but they're doing the same thing every day. And I knew in college... I was very interested in the corporate um, annual report style of photography. Um, So I I knew that early on that that's the kind of photography I wanted to do. Um, So, you know, after college, I went and applied for, I probably sent out 200 or more resumes across the country just because I knew I wanted to do it. So I sent it to the Boeings and all those kind of companies. Wow. And uh, so when I you know, found this job, I knew it was the perfect fit. And so the, the coolest thing is, is that, you know, one day you could be photographing the center director, you can be photographing his official portrait in our studio or in his office, um, you could be doing an award ceremony, um, but we also get into severe um, or high-end technical photography where we do high-speed photography, time-lapse photography, um, like James said, um, production shoots. Um, we find ourselves in different environments, um, all three of us have actually um, flown and qualified on the T 38 aircraft. Um, James and I have photographed in NASA's uh, Zero G aircraft um, over multiple of years. Um, back in the day, we actually, uh, my supervisor and I, were actually um, trained and uh, performed underwater photography. Uh, back in the early days when we had the WETF here, the Weightless Environment Training Facility. Uh, both he and I actually got trained out here, and then when our bigger pool got built to handle the space station assembly, uh, Mark and I actually dove uh, for a number of years, four or five years out in that facility. Um, and you know we would document activities like the Hubble Space Telescope repair missions, um, the initial assembly of International Space Station. Um, so it, it was that variety that has kept it um, unique and interesting over the years. And it, it continues to do so to this day.
0: Yeah, yeah. One one of the things that jumps to my mind is is what is what is it about doing being a NASA photographer for 30 years that makes you want to continue to do that? It sounds like it's just it's never boring. You're right. you're doing you have a different day, you have a different mindset, you get to learn new things, you get to be certified in all of these different things in aircraft, underwater not in the same day, obviously, but, right. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's, it's just a, it's, it's new. It's a unique experience. You said zero gravity. This is, this is incredible. Exactly. James, tell me about some of those, uh, some of those moments like, um, you know, being, being certified for flying in the T-38 or what that, what's that like to go through that process and then start taking aerial photography?
3: Uh, that was probably the, uh, pinnacle of my career here. It was, uh, putting on that flight vest and, uh, getting into a T-38. Um, so yeah, that was uh, a dream come true. As a kid, I always wanted to uh, fly in a jet. Uh, I didn't quite have the uh, right stuff to uh, make it through n- the Navy or Air Force. So uh, I just I feel incredibly fortunate to be able to do it for NASA. Um, and even better, I get to uh, take photos while flying in the backseat of a T-38. Uh, it's it's amazing it's uh probably also one of the most exhausting um uh, <laughs> assignments you'll have uh it's exhilarating uh so you're you're you know, working with adrenaline plus you're you're fighting with your uh your harness that you're in and you're trying to twist around and dealing with g forces and uh it's amazing it's um, it's a dream come true
0: so Josh what are you doing on those flights is it uh are you just taking you know nice cool photos of planes is there a technical aspect to it that helps pilots to learn or to understand how things are working
1: so i've only flown twice oh um, okay my first was a checkout flight uh, which was just you know getting adapted to the you know the, the craft this is what it feels like uh, and the second flight was a video shoot to actually shoot t-38 information and it was a video shoot and i can attest to everything james just said it's exhausting <laughs> i took drama means so that you know i wouldn't get sick uh and It was the first shoot I had that was, I had an assignment where I actually had to hold the camera up. And when the aircraft starts to move, you start taking G's and the camera weighs 60 pounds all of a sudden. And you're trying to hold (laughs) it steady out the window or, you know, you know, pointing outside. And it starts to just come towards your chest and you're pushing as hard as you can against it. And it's still coming towards your chest, your body's shaking. And you're wondering, how am I going to get a clean shot out of this? Not to mention the canopy's wide open to the sunlight. It's pouring in, there was reflections everywhere. You're trying to look through your mask at the LCD screen. You have a limited range of motion. You can barely turn your shoulders. So it's just a really fun challenge to try and solve. That's <laughs> my explanation of that.
0: Fun, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know why you picked that word, <laughs> right. fun. That sounds, yeah, I've been exhausted just listening right. to
2: it. Well, an, an important note to, to make is, especially in the T38 environment, but whether it be in that environment or almost any uh, shoot that we go on, we're in situations where there, you have one chance to get the shot. Hmm. And so it costs a lot of money to get those aircraft up in the air. It costs a lot of money to put us in the back seat. So when we're tasked to do a job, we need to make sure that we come out there with the best imagery that's possible. Um, so, you know, some of the environments that I was in, um, in some of my flying. So I mentioned earlier about the uh, zero G plane. Well, it's always nice to have photos and videos of the outside of the zero G plane performing its maneuvers so the public can see it, they can use it in videos and posters and things like that. So we actually, um, one of the flights went into a T-38 and had to mimic the (laughs) exact flight pattern of the zero G plane. And because the T-38s really aren't made to be in that type of environment, yes, they can go, you know, zero G, negative Gs, plus Gs, but it's really not meant to be be in a zero G for any sustained length of time. Hmm. So the zero G plane is usually about a 30 second period of weightlessness where it's going from um, 36,000 feet to about 26,000 feet for that zero G time. Um, The T38s aren't really meant to be in that configuration for that amount of length of time, but um, usually, what we did was do about four parabolas. We would do two parabolas and do still pictures, and then we do two parabolas and capture video. After that, you're done. So huh. you're, you better make sure that you got those images during that time.
0: That's it. You have two chances for, <laughs> for stills, stills two, two chances, chances, right? And that's it. And that's it. And, and you get back out. home.
3: A lot yeah. of preparation involved right. for each flight. Yeah.
0: What what kinds of preparation? What do you what do you have to? Uh, You want to make
3: sure you're very familiar with your uh, camera equipment you're going to use. You want to make sure it's the appropriate camera uh, equipment for the job. Um, Know your settings, know your lighting, um, and you want to take as little equipment up in the T38 as possible. You don't want to. You can't bring two cameras. You can't bring backups. be just because of the size constraints, there's no stowage anywhere. So it's, uh, that's, uh, it's key to uh, know your stuff before mm. you go up.
0: So what's the, when you're putting on, you, you talked about different hats that you have to put on. You have to put on your, t- your technical hat, you have to put on your artistic hat. Let's put on the technical hat for, for just a second, Josh. When you're putting on the technical hat, what is it that you are focusing on? What is it that you have to, what is it you have to get out of this technical photography and deliver to who?
1: so these guys taught me how to think this way um one of the things i had to adjust to was shooting something for engineering purposes uh, or for analytical purposes versus for outreach um, or basic documentation and sometimes they're totally separate shoots and other times they're happening kind of at the same time and you've got to switch hats on the fly and one of the things that i learned and james you helped me a lot with this uh early on was sometimes you'll just have an object and you'll go from shooting the event you know the training that's unfolding to they pull you aside and they say hey take a picture of this thing and i've learned now that what they mean was they're not looking for a pretty picture although i'm going to make sure it's well exposed and visible you know yeah but the primary purpose of that is to show information that then they can analyze and do science with um, or you make assessments from and so you know i don't need to make it perfect i just need to make sure that it's legible and from certain angles, you know, probably get everything they need. I've developed a sense for, you know, trying to cover all the bases. Um, that's pretty counterintuitive to, to a photographer who's thinking about composition most of the time mm-hmm. and aesthetics. All that goes out the window. Uh, now I'm thinking about content and readability.
0: Huh. So how do you know what to capture, James? What are, what are some of the lessons you've, you've taught, Josh? Why do you know what to capture? And then how do you know when it's your time to go in during a test or during this moment, and then take these photographs, and what angles to take, and mm. what would be most beneficial from the eye of an engineer.
3: Sure. I mean, first is talking to the engineer and asking them what's the key moment, what's the key item, what should I be looking for, um, what gizmo, what action. Um, you know, they. You know, are there scratches on the f- surface of the the item? You know, you want to light it a certain way to highlight those scratches or um, bringing the proper lens, the macro lens, and lighting it properly, getting close and quite often they want you to get inside an item and a piece of hardware and uh, light up the inside and uh, just knowing how to do that. um, Yeah, just communication is key when it comes to engineering and uh, yeah it's definitely different from public affair imagery. You
0: know. Yeah, and they're not photographers either. So when they say, right. I want that and I want it well lit, right. you're like, okay, I'm the, I'm the expert here and I have to figure right. out how to do that to get the results that this person's looking for. Exactly. Robert, you mentioned some other stuff too. You mentioned like time lapses and, and um, images over time, you know, stills, videos, everything. They want they want good data to make right. assessments.
2: So the other side of the coin of, of that um, technical capability of knowing how to expose things well, know what the engineers are looking for, is to keep up with the technology. So of course, um, when I started, we basically only did um, still acquisition. So we were still photography department. Video was actually accomplished from a from a different department. So we didn't have to worry. We only had to know, and of course, we didn't have digital cameras then. It was all film cameras. So we just you know had to know our you know, you know, uh, normal thirty five millimeter mm-hmm. still cameras, medium format still cameras. We also did four x five. Um, so you had to know that older technology but that's all you need to know plus the flash equipment everything like that of course then when we transitioned to digital you know the technology became a little bit more difficult interfacing with the computers the computer software so the learning curve you know became a, a, a little higher and then um, a number of years ago we actually um, acquired the video acquisition portion so now we do both still and video so now in addition to all of the you know standard still photography equipment we also have to keep up with all of the video technology the cameras the audio everything on that end um plus the technical um well the, the other types of off nominal types of acquisition right so the time lapse the, the high speed so high speed photography you know 30 years ago we also captured on um traditional film mm-hmm. um, so we used uh Milliken cameras they were they held 400 foot rolls and we shot mostly at 400 frames per second um Speed cameras, and now it's all tradi- uh, transition to digital, and so now you have to learn the new technologies of the new cameras, um, and of course the frame rates now of these cameras go up to 50,000 frames per second, um, and that's even still on the slow end um, of things that we're capturing. Um, so you're constantly keeping up with, you know, the, the the changes, the technologies, how to utilize them, how to, you know. Choose the best equipment to give the engineers exactly what they need.
0: How do you keep up with that? Then do you are you are you just getting a, signing up for a bunch of different magazines and reading them as, as you get the time? Is there do you set aside time in uh, your used job? Used
3: be used to be magazines. Now I find anything on the internet. Uh, oh, and uh, YouTube is a great source of uh, information about new technology. Uh, so yeah, it's it's transitioned, but yeah, it's we have to stay on top of uh, the new trends. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, that's got to be big for it. All right, now let's put on let's put on a different hat. I know Josh, you talked about uh, composition when you're thinking you have to switch away from your composition style of thinking to the technical. Now going back to that composition, what's a moment as, as a NASA photographer where you have to think about that and use all those skills? I, w-
1: I would say most of the time. Uh, oh, from virtually everything you're shooting. Um, If if it's an award ceremony, you're still thinking about aesthetics and composition and lighting. You're trying to make everything look as good as it can, uh, regardless of what you're doing. If it's an educational event, you know, children are engaged in learning. You're trying to get them the best photos possible for them. Um, Or it's an astronaut getting ready to uh, suit up to go into the NBL. You know, you're doing the best you can with the lighting available, with the lighting you can bring in. Um, And even if you've shot it tons of times, you're still trying to give it the the attention it deserves in the moment because um, mm. this is pretty unique you know yeah and yeah we do do things on a day-to-day basis but history is still being made <laughs> right every single day and I remember the first time I went to the NBL James took me there and it was an astronaut getting suited up um, and I, I remember just getting so excited um, and I still get excited when I go over there but I was just taking a ton of pictures and you know James, I can't even imagine how many times you've shot this. <laughs> but I come out of there, I go, you know, we leave, we go back to the office, and I'm telling everybody, it's like, they're making history over there, you know. It's just <laughs> like I was so jazzed by it. And it's just really important to, like, not lose sight of that. Um, because, you you know, after 20 times of doing it, it's still the same, that same feeling I had from that first moment, it, it's the same truth, you know. So I've just got to make sure that I hang on to it and apply everything that I know, everything that I've gleaned from my career so far to making it, as powerful and as, as impactful as, as possible as it is.
0: Yeah, I know one of the key moments. I'm thinking about some of those MBL photos. I like. Um, there's there's always one where they ha- they have to put the astronauts on this rig. They're fully suited up. They got all their umbilicals, and they move this giant rig, and they start dipping them in the pool. And there's this moment where they just they're just. Submersing, they're going underwater, and a lot of them do something. They throw (laughs) up like they wave, or they throw up like the horns, or you know, thumbs up, whatever. Um, they do something like that. That's like a moment that you know is coming, and you're like, I have to be ready to capture that. True, maybe one of the maybe one of the few that are a little bit predictable. Other than that, you're just looking for your moments, true, very true. Yeah, so um, let's talk about going under the water. You, you, You talked about both of you went under the water, and uh, and did some photography there now now what's what's it like to you know josh described having to hold this camera against g's and film in a in a plane now what are some of the techniques you need to film underwater
2: i think it actually when i when you ask the question and i think about it it all has to do with trying to predict where you need to be to get the best shot mm. and i think no matter the environment you're in whether it's you know floating on the zero g plane or capturing imagery in Mission Control or at the NBL or underwater, you always want to try to be in the best position to capture uh, the most interesting, the, the picture that will tell the story the best, give the engineers the information they need, but also be cognizant of your location to make sure that you're also not getting in the way. You yeah. don't want to be blocking a flight director's view of the front screen. You don't want to be, you know, getting in the way of suit technicians, um, slowing their process down of suiting up the astronauts. You also you always need to be cognizant of where you're at, what you're doing, get your job done, but make sure you're not inhibiting other people getting their job done.
0: Yeah, fly on the wall, just like you were saying. That's <laughs> right. that. Yeah, you have to you have to be there, be present, and capture the moment, but not be in anyone's way. People are trying to do jobs. Right.
2: Yeah. One of the things that you also uh, kind of brought up with. Being doing part of the creativity was, um, you know, being a NASA photographer, you have to kind of do things a certain way. There's a certain, you know, method and a certain, you know, uh, look that NASA imagery, you know, expects and and the program expects and the in the center uh, expects. Um, So so we're always cognizant to get those pictures kind of in the bag. And so that's you know, if we're doing an astronaut portrait in a you know spacesuit or something like that, there's always the shots that we need to get, um, or a crew portrait. Um, but the nice thing is, is that we, they always leave us room for creativity. Oh. Uh, so there's been many a times where you know we can spend you know an hour with a crew member on a on a portrait and make sure we get all of our um, you know shots that we need to get that NASA needs. But then it gives us some time to do some creative um, shots of the crew member or, or crew portraits. And oftentimes, unexpectedly, um, when the crew members deciding what pictures they want to best represent them or best represent their crew, they'll sometimes go with those creative shots that were kind of off the cuff that we just come up with, you know, during a session. Um, so that's it's always you know neat when those kind of <laughs> situations
0: arise. Josh, what's it like working with astronauts, and, and how it differs from astronaut to astronaut, and and what they're willing to do to be creative?
1: Well, I think it's really important uh, to follow up with what Robert just said to make sure that everyone knows that Robert is the photographer that shot Leland Melvin with the two dogs,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: which is <laughs> like my is favorite shot. That is a
2: famous one. <laughs> it has become uh, quite recognizable. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So that's huge. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so th- my favorite part of working here is having the astronauts in the studio. It's a controlled scenario. There's an opportunity to there that I never want to not take advantage of. And they're all just so nice, yeah. <laughs> they really are. Like, that's one of the most beautiful things about interacting with them is just not only are these like, these just incredibly capable individuals, but they're just, they'll listen to you. You know, they're present. They're just good people. Um, and I feel like they're just great subjects to shoot. And I want to show that and I want to convey how that feels. And so yeah, we go through the, we do the official shots. There's the, a list of things that we need to knock out. But I always try at the end um, of every studio session to carve out whatever time I can, I have left, to do something creative, to do something different, um, to apply some kind of vision behind it. I'll have a different backdrop set up, I'll have different lights set up, and I'll have the radio transceivers ready to just switch to a different channel. So at the very end, I just switch to hit the switch, drop the new backdrop down and take advantage of whatever time is available, whatever time they're willing to give me (laughs) and do some creative portraits. I've done some stuff in black and white that I'm really proud of, that's been really fun. I kind of worked out a series that I've uh, been chipping away at. Um, It's it's just, you know that these people are going into outer space and coming back and it's just kind of amazing. Like I'm at a loss for words to really describe it, but I'll say that there were some that I had in the studio You know, let's take Luke and Drew that are up there right now. They just finished the AMS spacewalk. Not only did I get the opportunity to shoot them both in the studio in their EMU suits, um, I got to photograph them training on the, um, uh, uh, basically training for the EVA that they just accomplished. I got to document that a lot. And then I'm in mission control taking pictures of the flight controllers with them on screen in space doing the spacewalk and i'm familiar with the activities that they're going through i can see what they're doing and i know oh this part's really complicated because i've seen them work through this work this out in real time on the ground and that's huge we're putting people in outer space and then bring them back home and they're effectively your co-workers
0: yeah yeah you're going on the journey with them very you, much you, they're they're training and you can see them preparing for what they're about to do in space then you're there so what what i mean I'm sure you just want to turn the camera around and take a picture like, look, I'm here. (laughs) I took the journey with you. But, you know, everyone else did, too. Everyone else took the you're trying to capture the flight controllers because they put a, a ton of work into it. The engineers, because you know that they're putting they're giving everything they have to train these crew members to do this task. So you are right there with the same emotions that a lot of these trainers are feeling. And trying to capture that and document that. One hundred percent, and not just the technical aspect, but the, right. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It, it's
1: monumental. I don't know how many societies are capable of putting human beings in outer space. You know, throughout history, this is relatively new. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's not something to take for granted.
0: Yeah, now this is. There's a lot of historical elements to this, and we've talked about all these different moments all of these different techniques all all these images that you're capturing we talked about the movement to digital with digital comes a new way of taking photos and that's snap 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 right you're taking a lot i'm sure it's it could be on the order of thousands a day so how do you how do you shift through that how do you shuffle through and pick these are the ones we're going to to send to people these are the ones we're going to post publicly these are the ones we're going to archive
3: sure i mean um yeah i started out shooting film and uh Going to an event, shooting you know three or four rolls of 35 millimeter. I thought that was a lot, but with digital, you can. Uh, <laughs> digital doesn't cost anything. You just <laughs> shoot and shoot, um, and you have to uh, kind of hold back sometimes and remember slow down and uh, and uh, think more about your the shot you're going to get. But when you uh, get back to the uh, office and you start screening your imagery. Um, I think unlike uh, your traditional photographer, we have like you, we've been saying, you have to put on different hats, and you have to select imagery for different uh, customers. Uh, it may be one assignment, but there are different people who are going to use your imagery uh, from that one assignment, whether it be public release or engineering. And so, um, we generally pick a larger group of images for bo- for all customers. Um, the public release imagery—you're looking for that right moment with a nice smile on the face, uh, and the right good lighting. But the engineering documentation uh, is a little more subtle. Uh, you sh- you generally shoot a, a larger volume of imagery because you never know quite what the engineer, what detail that engineer is looking for. Um, so, uh,
0: that's a different way of thinking about it because you in one in one way if you're if you're trying to document you want the best documentation and from your mind as a photographer you kind of have a better idea of what is the best moment and what's right. the best style what's the best angle to document now with the engineering aspect of things y- it's not you're not in that mindset cuz you don't know what is the best so mm-hmm. you have to almost do so, everything
3: yeah with engineering uh, documentation quite often you're uh, documenting every step of the process, so um, you'll end up with sometimes hundreds of images, uh, and mixed in with those hundreds of images is a select few, uh, you know, public release images you would consider. Wow, so, yeah.
0: Robert, I can't even imagine what this was like before digital, because you're talking about going through hundreds of images and saying, "Here's here you go, engineers, like this is this is what you requested." How did, was it the same with film, or did they just not get the right data? How, how did that work? I think we definitely shot
2: less. Um, yeah. I'm thinking of some, um, you know, back in the shuttle days when they used to do the emergency egress activities, um, either in Building 9, um, practicing there, or uh, egress activities out at the NBL that we used to, um, so it was, you know, full-suited events. And those were, you know, multi-hours, usually three- or four-hour, you know, suited events for, you know, a crew of seven. And uh, we'd be out there the entire time and uh, most of that, we use in the early days. We used to shoot on medium format film, our Hasselblads, and you know, we usually, I usually shoot probably what's called a brick, so a, a, like five rolls of 24 exposure, and you know, if it was you know a busy shoot, you may shoot two of those. Um, so in, in the realm of it, it's still not very many today on an event like that you'd probably easily shoot 500 to a thousand exposures. Oof. Um, you know, I just photographed a uh, retirement, um, ceremony last night for a director that's been here for, you know, over about 46 years, um, that just retired. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, a well uh, received event that she had tons of people there you know, celebrating her, her work out here and you know I, just my raw images I shot nearly 700 pictures um, <laughs> So you know you'll get back to the office because you, you want to make sure that you captured it correctly and captured all of the, the people that were important in her life um, but you know you'll come back and you know maybe submit a couple of hundred from that um, so you know you're always shooting a lot more um, but it enables you to get really the the best shot possible. Um, so it, it's really been d- – digital has definitely been a, a great thing for, for photography. Um, it's definitely added more work on the back end than the than the front end. Um, people sometimes <laughs> don't realize the amount of time it takes to screen through all of those hundreds and thousands of images sometimes. Yeah. Um, but it does allow us to, to capture, um, I think, better imagery in the end.
0: Yeah. So what do you think is more intensive, processing thousands of digital images or converting film into something usable? I don't even know. How that used, how that worked, but. It's,
2: it's definitely intensive screening through intensive, and it, and it depends on the event. Um, um, sometimes um, some things are easier to screen than others, depending on what you're looking at. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that can be absolutely true. It sounds like Josh that there's these these barriers when it comes to being a, a NASA photographer as to what what you guys are responsible for. It seems like you get a you get a request to uh, to photograph something, and then there's a period of time where you have to um, look through the best of that imagery and then either post it somewhere and then from there it sounds like you hand it off to someone else and that depends on what it is. Is it going out publicly? Is it going to be archived? So what's that What's that end process like when it comes to you, you're you now screened through 700 images because you just are done with the event. You have to sit down. You have to go through what happens next.
1: One of the more unique aspects of working as a photographer here uh, is we have a photo lab that basically edits and tones all our images. Mm. And so we do the initial screening. We crop and we kind of choose which images from the entire shoot are worth putting forward. And then we have an entire photo lab team that goes forth and then will color balance and make everything look great. Uh, hundreds of images that we don't have to process. if We could just go out and keep shooting multiple shoots per day if we have to. Um, I can't really speak to anything beyond that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know it gets archived. I know it's available for, uh, you know, um, if it's not restricted for any specific reason, is available to those on site. But I couldn't speak to how it's chosen to be released publicly. If anything, I think you could.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah, we, we, we have a task where... You know, every once in a while, uh, we'll have to go through either images coming from station or images of events that we know are happening, and then you pick. You know, you go down from 700 and you go down to I don't know, let's say 100, and then from that 100, we choose three. Right. And right, then yeah. that's how that's kind of how it goes out to the public. Is mm-hmm. is you you have chosen the best of the imagery that you are ready to archive or put wherever, but it's up to us to to then post those three because. Right we've already discussed, I mean, we're talking thousands of images right, a day. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't post all of that. Right. So it would just be, you wouldn't be able to find what you wanted. Exactly. It wouldn't be very useful to anyone. Um, so making sure that we screen that is something that's really important.
2: And social media, I think, is nice to the photographers nowadays to be able to actually you know, see our imagery out there on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever NASA decides to post them yeah. versus back in the day where, you know, some, you know, maybe 10 years later, you might see your photo appear in some magazine <laughs> or book or something somewhere. Um, so now we see things a lot more frequently posted online and it's pretty rewarding to have your, your pictures out there.
0: Yeah. Do you find that there's, there's value in, in, uh, in seeing that in, in uh, maybe a certain amount of inspiration that comes from people looking at this imagery? Because you know, One thing that I think NASA is super good at when it comes to even a government agency, but just a, just a, just a, a business, um, is we have some of the best imagery. You just can't beat it. And you're talking about being a fly on the wall and taking a picture of some training. Yeah, maybe it's just a day, oh, okay, I gotta go capture this training, but to some, it is, it is something that could possibly define a career path.
1: I mean, think about all the images we've seen throughout our lives about human space travel. Yeah. we get to add to the iconography of that going forward. That's so huge. You just don't know what picture is going to resonate with somebody and create an impact. Yeah. It'd be anything.
0: James, do you have a, some moment, some training, some event uh, that you have captured that was just so, that stuck with you?
3: Uh, I was fortunate enough to sh- uh, be on a helicopter during uh, EFT-1, Orion's EFT-1, where the uh, capsule is coming back in. Uh, during re-entry, and uh, I was on a uh, Black Hawk, heli- uh, no, excuse me, not a Black Hawk, a Seahawk, a Navy Seahawk uh, helicopter, and there had been so much training, so much preparation for just this one moment, and uh, I just the hardest thing, uh, my biggest fear was being able to spot it. It's just like a needle, just a pinhead up in the sky, and I just saw this, this glimmer in the sky, and I just, I have um, I was using an 800 millimeter lens and I just I grabbed onto it and I, I was just shocked that I found it in so early up in its uh, re-entry and followed it all the way down and uh, uh, that was probably one of my uh, most uh, memorable moments. Uh, I was probably one of the closest people to the uh, capsule as it re-entered and uh, it was a, it was a great Experience. I, you know, Josh has been in the Navy, but I had never been on a, a Navy ship, and so we had uh, uh, traveled to – it was out in the Pacific where we uh, covered the reentry and uh, we floated out on a Navy ship, and uh, that was a great experience too. So. Um,
0: yeah, just being easy. on the ship is, is unique right. in and of itself. Exactly. But this is EFT-1. This is the test mission of Orion. It was right. going super far away from – Earth, and then right. it was the the test. One of the parts of the test was to come screaming through the atmosphere at yeah. twenty five thousand miles per hour. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you were able to find this little tiny dot right. coming from almost it was cis lunar space. It was right. it was kind of near the moon, coming through in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Right. Um, that's just I mean that's that's a moment that you know it, you can't you you can plan for it, but I mean anything could happen. You mm-hmm. can have clouds. You can have clouds. You and can have. Were, you right. could be facing the wrong direction. Right. Um, the the helicopter pilot could be making a hard bank, and then next thing right. you know, you lose it.
3: But yeah, that was all in the training. I mean, the, yeah, it was everything happened the way it was supposed to happen. It was uh, we were in the right spot, at the right time. The capsule landed on the right spot, and uh, all the training paid off. So uh, that was uh, a great feeling.
0: Yeah, Robert, do you have something like that where where you just have a You have something that you have to capture right in the moment, and that's it. You just have that one shot because it's not like you can say, all right, Orion, sorry, missed it. Can you go back through the atmosphere and then come back in? Just tell me where you are so I can get you next time.
2: Yeah, so when you tell a lot of people that you're a NASA photographer – uh, usually the question you get is, okay, what's the coolest thing you've ever photographed? Yeah. And, uh, so th- that's definitely, uh, I have, I usually have a top three. Um, but for again, being the, the toughest shoot and kind of, you know, you have one time only to pull it off. Um, I was fortunate enough to, uh, fly back seat when they retired the space shuttles and, uh, they took all the space shuttles to various science museums across the country and so before they landed the shuttles in the various cities, they did fly-arounds of each city, and so we uh, chased the shuttle on back of the 747 and captured it flying over Washington, D.C., New York City, um, before it went on the Intrepid, so I was in the backseat capturing those photos as it was going across the mall in Washington, D.C., and down the Hudson in in New York City, and you only had one chance, and so um, a lot of times I could specifically remember sitting in the back seat, being alongside, taking the pictures out the window, uh, you know, the canopy of the T-38, and literally thinking I should pinch myself because this is just so, <laughs> such an abnormal, unusual place to be taking pictures like this. Um, but those are actually some of the, the you know mo- most memorable photographs I think I've you know captured almost since I've been out here for 30 years yeah um you know a, iconic shot with the shuttle going down um the mall in Washington DC where you can see the National Monument and the Capitol from one end to the other um in uh, New York City I captured a really neat shot and I remember you know kind of looking through my viewfinder as you know we're flying the path and uh, I, I can see the image appearing in my viewfinder and I'm like okay in a second it's gonna it's gonna come it's gonna come and the shuttle crosses um the uh Uh, The park, and uh, get the whole downtown area in the background, and it was just a really uh, beautiful shot that I captured.
0: It was it was a moment that you knew was coming too, right? Because you had to study the flight plan. You knew it was in the background. You knew your moments. But as James said,
2: there's a lot of things that can go wrong with that. Yeah. Um, But but it all came together, and uh, I, I was really pleased with the way that image turned out.
0: I'd be half tempted to just put the camera down and just, just witness <laughs> just soak it. it in. Just, yeah. Yeah. I, I have a trouble with that too. Cause I, I want to take photos of a lot of parts of my life. Like a lot of people do now and post them on social media. But sometimes I just, you know, I want to take the camera down and just kind of soak it all in. But you're, this is a key moment for not just you, but it's for it's for many people because a lot of people have worked on these shuttles. Um, they've captured the hearts and minds of all of these people. A lot of I mean, there were crowds coming out, right? I remember I was one of my first, uh, actually my very first internship was to work the uh, Endeavor flyover for Houston, and so I was over at Ellington Field, and I was working education activities, handing out little, you know, having people try on gloves and stuff. But I saw it. I got to capture it, for, you know, not as well as I didn't have as good of a view <laughs> as you guys. But I had my I had my phone going across Ellington Field. I think it did two passes or mm-hmm. something. Um, just a wonderful moment, and just to be a part of that was was significant. Josh, what about you? Favorite moment?
1: Favorite moment. Uh, I have not been pressed that much yet. I've been kind of training <laughs> going in that direction. Um, I would say my favorite thing that I've had the opportunity to shoot here so far was the wilderness survival training with the new group of astronaut candidates that are now astronauts. They recently graduated. Yeah. Um, that was just the most meaningful thing I've ever gotten a chance to do. I went with them to Maine, um, spent a week with them, uh, basically camping, uh, just documenting their training. Um, and it's a important moment for them. It's early on in their training. So they're getting to kind of know each other. And I felt like I kind of get to know them too and become part of the community here, uh, which is a really special thing to be a part of, um. It's a very familiar uh, atmosphere, you know, it's a, it feels really tight-knit, and uh, that was my introduction basically into the job and into the culture and into the into the world of, of like, what we're doing and why and who's going, and yeah. it was just very cool.
0: I love it. So it, it's, you have such a unique perspective as an NASA photographer, and, and I'm going back to when you were talking about the Alpha Magnetic Spectrometer spacewalk training, mm-hmm. and you got to see... Um, uh, and Andrew Morgan and, and Luca Parmitano train for doing this thing. Then you saw it in space, and you were with all these different teams. That's, I think, something that's very unique to a NASA photographer, is because, you know, an engineer, you know, you, you might be an engineer for just the Alpha Magnetic Spectrometer high fidelity uh, mockup that goes on the Argos, and that's it, and that's what you do. And maybe, right. you know, you don't get as much time with the with the divers at the MBL, or you don't get much time with the crew trainers over over here. But you're seeing all parts of it. You're saying all parts of it, and you're a part of that journey. What is it you try to capture in in the photography to try to tell that story? Because it's it's a it's a story that I think is maybe unique, and but it's necessary. It's it is the journey from start to finish.
1: I like to think of myself as a time traveler. That <laughs> it's from the future, and I'm back in time, and I'm documenting history. So that's the overarching sort of theme that I work with. But generally, I try to meet people and events where they're at. So I just try and see it as a, as a moment in time, like a corner of eternity. And this is only gonna happen once and then tomorrow will be another thing, but uh, each person has their part to play and is truly invested in it. Yeah. So if there's a moment where you can see it on their face, you try and capture it. Uh, if they're collaborating with each other and they're trying to solve a problem and it's in the middle of happening, you try and capture that too. There's so many ways that this experience could kind of manifest itself in front of you. And you just try and be in tune and open to how that can come about with wherever you happen to be standing or wherever you could be standing.
0: Yeah, Robert, you probably have m- more of an understanding along these lines of, and I've, and I've heard this term quite a bit, just being at NASA these past few years, the NASA family. Um, but you see it a little bit more from all, like again, all of these different disciplines, all of these different areas that most people at NASA don't get to explore all the time. We we don't we're just not in all the buildings. We're not we're not seeing all the people and all the unique. You probably have a better aspect than most, a, a better perspective of seeing all of what is the NASA family and all of the different subcultures and, and what what brings it together as one unique family. What have you seen just over these past thirty years and, and to really define that?
2: Well, the. Thing that comes to mind the most is um, when you go out and you photograph or you talk to different people, a lot of people will say you guys probably have the coolest job out here except for the astronauts, <laughs> which is pretty much true it's because true. you know we're we're at everything. Yeah. Um, so you know you think about the astronauts training, like Josh said, you know we were pretty much all involved in a lot of the AMS training, and literally. You know, you you feel like you can, you know. Of course, we can't do their jobs, but you almost you you become very familiar with what they're doing. Yeah, you want to point to a bolt and be like, right? So when you you see, you know, it on TV and in Mission Control of what they're doing, you have experienced it. You know, underwater when we used to do do the documentation underwater, and you know, they're assembling the pieces of space station. We were we were there as they were practicing these things and repairing the Hubble Space Telescope. Um, But the the family is definitely true. Being out here for for so many years, whether you see people here or outside of work or on travel in airports, um, it's just one big um, family. I remember one time I got on a a, uh, Southwest flight and ran into uh, a uh, retired astronaut that was flying for Southwest, and you know he was greeting passengers coming on board. And it was like, "Hey, how you doing? Hey, had <laughs> a long time no see." Um, so you just run out. You know, you run into people. You know, in the grocery stores, at restaurants. You know, the astronauts, the flight directors, wherever it may be. And you know, it 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 definitely does feel like a family culture out here.
0: Wow. So James, we, have, we you talked about this era of of you talked about social media. You talked about. Uh, this change from uh, taking so many pictures uh, and, and doing it in a different style, now having this ability to share to share more. What do you find is important about that and, and the value of that, and what kind of personal aspects do you bring to sharing these photos?
3: I see our job as being the eyes for the public. We see, like you say, we see things that uh, we've been to events that others just don't have access to and so uh, it's my job to uh, document it in a way that creates excitement and shows how exciting the space program is. Um, so I, it's, yeah, I, I take it as a privilege and uh, I try to create excitement with my imagery.
0: Yeah, and I think you're all doing such a good job. I mean, I've, I've, got, I've had the pleasure to work with each one of you in multiple different capacities um, and just see, you know, you just walking around. You're, you're there. I'm, I'm on a tour, and you're there. I'm in I'm Mission Control, and you're there. You know, it's, it, and even when I'm not there, you're there. <laughs> so, like, it's uh, I, I really appreciate what you do, and it's very significant to not just the NASA family, but to those that want to be engaged with the NASA family. So, Robert Markowitz, James Blair, Josh Valcarcel, I really appreciate your time for coming on. Houston, we have a podcast and sharing this unique perspective that no one else has. Appreciate the time. Right,
1: Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: thanks for sticking around really fascinating conversation we had with these guys today on what it's like to be a nasa photographer i hope by now you have a deep appreciation for what they do and if you're like me you're also kind of jealous we have a lot of episodes of houston we have a podcast you can listen to any one of them in no particular order at nasa.gov podcasts you can find a lot of other nasa podcasts there on any topic you're interested in if you want to follow us on social media, we're on the NASA Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you have a question for us or you'd like to submit an idea or a topic, use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform. And just make sure to mention it's for us at Houston We Have a Podcast. This episode was recorded on February 4th, 2020. Thanks to Alex Perryman, Pat Ryan, Nora Moran, Belinda Polito, Jennifer Hernandez, Mark Soa, and Kelly Humphreys. Thanks again to James Blair, Robert Markowitz, and Josh Valcarcel for taking the time to come on the show. Give us a rating and some feedback on whatever platform you're listening to us on, and tell us how we did. We'll be back next week.